Hello again and welcome to Rasslin Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 KSRQ FM and online at radionorthland.org. And uh, we're available also online via the free app from the good folks at TuneIn. And thank you for tuning in here on this very special edition of the program. My name is Glenn Broggett. Uh, yes, I'm here and ready to go. Always uh, ready to talk and let uh, my guests share some great wrestling memories. And to help me, my partner in crime, the man who's down deep in the heart of Texas. And he's, uh, he's, he's doing his best to adapt to the new normal. It's always good to hear from him. Two weeks in a row, it's good to hear from him. The grizzled vet, Mike McCurdy. Hey, man, glad to be back again, you know. Took a few weeks off, you know, everything, but you know, we're coming back. We got some new we've got some new material and a lot. So I'm always happy to be here and be talking with you about wrestling memories. But uh, you know, quick plug, you know, we're talking new normal and things like this. I'm just gonna throw this out real quick. Um, Thursday nights at ten PM, you can go to Facebook, search for offshoots T V and as I call myself, the face made for radio is now part of a live stream video podcast. We kind of look like Jimmy Fallon at home. You know, it's all video. Our guests are live on camera with us. But, uh, you know, we're in our about third week now, so we've had some fun guests. But that's something I'm doing now to kind of, you know, bide the time when I don't get to, when I don't get to sit back with my good buddy Glenn and talk some wrestling memories. I'm, I think I'm kind of cheating on you, Glenn, but I'm having a good time with it. And I just wanted to give that uh, quick little plug. 10 p.m. Central, Thursday nights on Facebook Live. Hey, man, as long as you ain't throwing my name out there on, on the streets, uh, out there on the streets, man, and, and giving me a bad reputation, I say Godspeed to your uh, your your, your uh, <laughs> other endeavor. Uh, yeah, but just remember, don't bury me because I can always uh, find my own shovel, my friend. <laughs> Only kidding, of course, but I think it's awesome. No, no, man, I'll, I'll never bury you. We're going on what? This is our third year together now since I came on, I guess. Yeah, this, this kind of starting our third year. This is the third year, by the way, and gosh, it's been what almost nine, ten years of the show all together. They're all starting to melt together, kind of like the days during this uh, new normal. Yeah, it's. I think today is either Monday or yesterday. I'm not sure which. My kids are not in school, so I don't have that Monday through Friday scene and the Saturday Sunday scene. So I wake up in the morning and look at my phone and go, "Okay, it's that day. All right, I'm good." I know where I'm at, though. I'm in the mobile studio. I know where you're at. You're there at KSRQ in the studio, and we have a guest on the line, so I'm yes, good. Yes, yes, yes. COVID-19 and the coronavirus has not gotten me yet. No, hasn't gotten us. It hasn't gotten our guests as well. And I'm going to let you uh, do the uh, do the driving here. I'll pop in from time to time. But my friend, you have booked this, and this is a a very interesting project. I, I think the listeners will find uh, most interesting as well. So I'm going to let you uh, open it up, and we can get this thing underway. Our guest today, the project is Professional Wrestling in North Texas, a collection of oral histories. Um, I came across her because many of my friends wrestling here in the Texas area are a part of this project. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the, the final product. Uh, very intelligent person, obviously a very well, you know, knowledgeable wrestling fan. But our guest today on Wrestling Memories In and Now is Milan Murray. Milan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I'm glad to have you on here. Like I said, um, many of my friends, you know, you've talked with, you know, Barrett Brown, Andy Dalton, David Fuller, friends of mine. They've been a part of this project. I've seen some of the, the teasers that you post uh, through your website and everything. So I met you through that. Uh, we met at a training session a few weeks back. And as a researcher and historian myself, I'm fascinated by this project. So, you know, let's just kind of get down to it. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, First, let's talk about yourself and kind of your background as 
you know, researcher, historian, wrestling fan. Let's talk a little bit about that. What got you kind of into wrestling? How long have you been watching it? And what made you decide that this is a project you wanted to take on? Well, I've been a wrestling fan for, man, as long as I can remember. As a child, I remember growing up watching, you know, Triple H, Mankind, all of those amazing athletes. And as I got older, you know, that never really went away. And I think the really funny thing about that is that whenever I got, uh, you know, a new position, they would always ask that question, what's one really interesting thing about you that most people would be surprised to find out? And I would always say, I'm a wrestling fan. And sure enough, everyone would be really surprised by that fact. And I would go on and on and on about all of the great things about wrestling. And it was so rare to find someone else in academia who understood that. So currently, I work at the University of Texas Arlington as a librarian, which gives me access to a lot of great resources for research. Previously, as a student, I actually graduated from UT Arlington with my undergrad in history. And then I went on to complete my master's in education with a focus in research. So being able to have all of this amazing resources available to me through the library has been great. You may be familiar with one amazing collection that Special Collections has, and that is um, the Von Erichs collection. And it's a collection of a lot of great photos from the Von Erichs time and some personal letters and things of that nature. So when I came on about two and a half years ago at UTA, I expressed my interest in professional wrestling and they said, hey, we have this amazing collection. If you're interested in it, you should totally go ahead, go look at it. Maybe you can write an amazing article around professional wrestling in the area. And I immediately jumped on that. I thought that it was an amazing idea. It was a great opportunity for me to research something that I enjoyed and hopefully get some other people in academia to understand the benefits and the cultural significance of professional wrestling, not just in North Texas, but in general. But then, of course, I ran into a major issue. When I started trying to do the research, I realized that on an academic level, there wasn't anything available um, resource-wise. So to put this into a really uh, understandable format, imagine searching Google, but in this case, I'm searching an academic database. If I were to search professional wrestling in North Texas, I may get a couple hundred hits, a couple hundred resources that may be relevant. In contrast, if I were to search for, say, local football, local baseball, even local golf, I'm going to get tens of thousands of resources that are going to be potentially relatable to what I'm trying to research. That's completely different from professional wrestling to these other sports or performing arts. And then on top of that, even the resources that I did find, they weren't relevant at all to what I needed. There was nothing there that actually talked about professional wrestling in Texas. So not even North Texas, but in Texas as a whole. And that was very upsetting to me as a historian, as a researcher, that there wasn't anything there available for individuals in academia to actually research professional wrestling. And that's kind of how the project came to be. I was expressing my disappointment to some of my colleagues at the library. And they said, well, well, if you feel like these resources need to be made available, why don't you go out and start collecting it? And since I was already kind of getting involved with professional wrestling within my local area, as far as like reaching out to different wrestlers and kind of getting to know them, I thought, you know what, this actually may be a great opportunity and a great time for me to kind of expand beyond that and actually start collecting their history so that researchers beyond me can actually look into this. So that's kind of where this project started and how it came into fruition. 
And I didn't actually get approval because there is a federal approval process for research that involves human subjects. And I didn't officially get approved and able to start the project until this January. Now, for our listeners, um, you and I talked about this when I, I met you a few weeks back. You're focusing on the independent professional wrestling in North Texas at this time, because as you said, there's plenty of information out there about obviously, you know, world-class and the Von Erics, like you said, there's a, uh, there's a collection at UTA, which I've seen a few pieces online. I've never actually been able to go and see the whole thing. I'd love to, I just have not made it there for that. But uh, just to clarify, this is an independent professional wrestling at this time, correct? Correct. This is focusing on independent professional wrestling. Now, who are some of the, you know, you say in your area, um, who are some of the first guys you reached out to, to talk to about, you know, your project on? So the very, the first two people I reached out to, and I have to say they have been extremely helpful as I, when I first started the project, even just helping me come up with some of the initial questions for the oral history. Um, that was Andy Dalton and David Fuller. They are both involved in the project as far as having their oral histories collected. David Fuller's full oral history has already been collected and deposited with special collections and Andy Dalton. We're pending because of the current situation, of course, but hopefully we'll be able to do some of those remotely in the near future. Now you, you said David, uh, his, in his oral history has been collected already because I've known the man for years and we all know he can talk a lot. And there's a lot of stories <laughs> the man can tell too. <laughs> he does. And I'm actually hoping to do another oral history of, um, for him because I feel like there's still so many more stories that he has that he can tell that you know should be collected oh I, I'm sure and and Glenn you know David has been a guest on uh, you know a past episode many years back I believe but he's been a guest on here and for our listeners David had a great opportunity at a, at a young age uh, and he got a chance to actually train with Johnny Valentine at the very tail end of uh, you know Johnny's life so you know, Johnny wasn't physically in the ring with him. He was obviously in a wheelchair by then, but David got to learn from Valentine, which is something that one, he'll tell everybody. And two, it's something he should tell everybody because that's an amazing honor right there. Just to have a chance to be, you know, learn anything from a legend such as that man. So that's kind of, that's kind of David's, you know, story. And Andy and I'm sure as Milan found out, is a second generation uh, professional wrestler. His father was Frank Dalton who wrestled here in the Texas area and also uh, was Friday. He was one of the handles for Kamala. So he, he, you know, he did that aspect too. And so to start off the bat with those two guys right there, that's definitely quite a chunk of, you know, at least independent wrestling uh, as far as Texas history goes. It has definitely been absolutely amazing to hear both of them. And I am so excited to actually get Andy Dalton's full oral history because some of the teasers that we recorded just left me wanting to know so much more about how he got where he is now. Now, when you started on this project, you said, you know, academically, there's nothing out there, which I think is kind of sad because there are a few books that you can find from, you know, many you know decades ago. They were actually more of an academic like book than they are a book that a normal wrestling fan is going to want to read. There are a couple out there. I'm sure maybe you've come across those, but from your standpoint, what was it like getting started putting this together and just kind of, you know, the learning process and just gathering all the information? It was definitely um, a steep learning curve, primarily because I'm used to recording histories from 
other individuals in academia or working with individuals in, say, um, cultural neighborhoods, which tends to be a little bit different because then you're reaching out to families. Whereas in this situation, I'm not only having to try to work around the ridiculously crazy schedule that wrestlers have, but I'm also having to learn about the background of wrestling because there are a lot of things behind the scene that I didn't understand. And I have to be able to understand in order to put them in context for, you know, any type of descriptive material that I need to create for these oral histories. So there's definitely been a steep learning curve there, but it's been absolutely enjoyable. I mean, I've been learning a lot. The training session where you and I met was absolutely um, incredible. I, I learned there um, where I met Michael. I, I learned so much from Barry Brown during that training session, not only about the resilience of some of the individuals who are involved, but just the, like, the heart that they have, the dedication. And those are some things that, as a fan, you don't truly see unless you can get behind the scenes and talk to some of these individuals. Yeah, I agree with you on Barrett about that one. That, that guy is, in my opinion, one of the undiscovered ones. So for why he hasn't had a shot with NXT and all that, because we've had a lot of guys that come through AEW, I think he's one of those that, not yet, but soon, you're, you're going to see him you know, somewhere once all this settles down. You're going to see him in that first because he's too good not to be recognized by, you know, the major promotions. And, you know, you got a chance to sit here and, you know, like you said, watch him and watch the training session. And that was part of training session he put the guys through. But those were things he's learning himself from New Japan, from uh, those guys. And that's an amazing learning tree right there. So Barrett is definitely, you know, that diamond and that, you know, people, more people need to know more about him. Absolutely. You know, you mean, you're having to learn about, you know, professional wrestling and all that. I've been in this business now, involved in it as a writer, historian, photographer. I think I put together cages. Well, I have put together cages um, for the last 25 years. This has kind of been, it's, it's always ingrained. It's part of who I am. What are some of the things that as you're being, your eyes are being opened, you're being exposed more to the kind of the inner circle of it. Just what are kind of some of the things that you're learning that interested you that you didn't know before and just what are some of the things that maybe you've learned now that you didn't realize were even possible? So the first thing that comes to mind is just how connected in, in the independent wrestling world is with the mainstream world and just how interconnected everyone is just across the world. I didn't realize just how much training is involved with so many different individuals. Um, Barrett Brown is a great example with New Japan and, you know, the uh, different trainings that he's done over in either California or in Japan or anywhere else. I, I just wasn't aware of just how much goes into that and how much involvement is, is, is there with multiple partners. And then as I was kind of getting involved with some of the different promotions, like just seeing how interconnected they were, like, um, and not just the wrestlers, even like the owners of the promoters, like these of the different promotions, rather, like these, they know each other. They're, they're helping each other. They're helping the fans. They're, the community that's there is something that I, I'm really hoping to bring to light for other people because I don't think they realize just how, not only how large that community is, but how great it is. How, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even have words to really express like the depth of my feelings right now for like the, the community that I've come to know, both on the fan side and on the, the wrestler side and everyone else who's involved in that community. But in, like I've seen it a lot now with the, the COVID-19 stuff, they come together, they help each other, and not just with professional stuff, they help each other with personal stuff. 
and they all kind of work work this stuff out. So that was kind of something that I, I didn't realize existed to that level. And that I'm really interested in exploring more of because I feel like that's a facet of professional wrestling that differs greatly from other professional sports and even performance performing arts. And I think it's something that makes it distinctly different from some of that other stuff that you might see out there. We refer to ourselves, you know, all of us as a family and to us, all the guys and all the girls, you know, as brothers and sisters. And yeah, we come together. Um, I've helped out a lot of benefit shows and all that. And that's kind of one of the things that, like you said, as someone on the outside, as a fan, you may not know that as well until you actually get to see and be part of it. And definitely with the current uh, coronavirus situation going on and the, the shelter in place, you know, everybody's reaching out to each other. How you doing? The guys are doing different things too, to kind of just, you know, stay connected with each other and with fans and all that by doing, you know, social media and more stuff like that. As far as social media goes, as far as work goes, have you been able to continue, you know, your projects with this or is it kind of at a standstill because of the, you know, current situation we're in? Well, because of the current situation, I ended up slightly switching gears. So right now I've been focusing more so on a database that I've been building through the website. And this is kind of to um, not only provide some of this information to other people who may want it, but help me as I get a little bit further in my research process. Because one of the biggest issues that I face is just being able to identify and get in touch with different wrestlers to get them involved in the project. So this database is helping me identify these wrestlers, put together their histories, and then and put it together in um, a single location. And then I'm also hoping to be able to start remotely collecting some of those oral histories. And that's something that I'm working out with um, the archivist right now on campus at UT Arlington. So hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, we can get that in place soon. Everybody's going to start using Zoom. Zoom has become like the biggest thing now because that's how everybody's doing online uh, meetings and chat and everything like that. So I'm, I'm starting to learn Zoom because I have kids in school and they're doing distance learning and all that fun stuff. Now, you're focusing on you know, the independent professional wrestling because like you said, when we talk, there's so much out there about uh, professional wrestling. Now, when you start talking to these guys and you reach out to people, have you had any like just kind of hesitation? Has there been any like, uh, I don't know, because I've done research on all three years and I've talked to the guys that have been in these rings for like 20, you know, 30 years. And those guys are not as open to, to an outsider coming in. Um, is that something you found with some of the independent guys that maybe they're a little kind of hesitant because they don't know you or what you're doing? Right now, that's probably my, my biggest issue is that, you know, I'll reach out to individuals. And I think because of the fact that they don't know me, they're, like you said, hesitant to actually um, even respond to kind of see what it is I'm trying to, to accomplish. So I found greater success in getting connected through other individuals who are already involved. So like David Fuller, for instance, has helped me get connected with quite a few individuals. Andy Dalton has as well. Um, so that's that's where I've had the most success. But I'm hoping that as my face becomes more familiar at different shows and things like that, that people will become more comfortable with my presence. And then hopefully I'll be able to get in contact with more individuals. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting experience. Uh, like I said, I talk with a lot of the, you know, the older generation you mentioned, you know, when you were younger, you were watching Triple H and Mankind. And um, obviously there's maybe a few years between us here. Cause I was watching, you know, I was watching the Von Erics on ESPN. I was watching, uh, you know, Hogan at the height of Hulkamania. So there might be a little bit of a, an age gap in there, but <laughs> you know, 
I called one time, fun story, I called Black Bart. Got the number from Johnny Mintel. I called Black Bart. I said, hey, this is a project I'm working on. Like, talk to you about it. I'm a historian. My focus is on Texas wrestling, blah, 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 blah. At that time, I lived in California. And the first thing out of Black Bart's mouth was, how the hell is a kid from California going to write about Texas wrestling? I had to stop for a second, kind of take a deep breath, collect myself, and go, well, here's her, here's the da 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 And through that and through that conversation, I actually got up a relationship with Bart, and I've talked to them a few times over the you know, last couple of years, and, all, and it's worked out. But that initial, that initial intro when you say, hi, here I am, you know, this is me, this is what I'm doing, blah, 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 you get bristled because even now you're, you're noticing it, and I didn't realize it was quite as prevalent as it was, you know, back then is that it's still protected to a point and they're very mm -hmm. like hesitant about allowing someone, you know, new into it. Now, is that something you kind of didn't expect or was that something you knew was going to happen? I actually did not expect that. So it was, it was a surprise for me, um, but I've been working through it. <laughs> you definitely, you definitely got to have a hard skin sometimes because everyone, I don't know, your experiences so far, but sometimes, you know, the guys can be a little brutal, uh, and they will come at you. They still come at me. I mean, even the indie guys, there's probably a few that I've talked to that, you know, that they looked at me like, okay, who are you? Why are you here? You know, and I kind of had to open up because just moving out here to Texas, I was new to them. They didn't know who I was, even though I've been doing other stuff for years. So I understand kind of what, you know, you're going through and all that. I'm not working on a project on independent wrestling. So, Therefore, you know, you're a little bit more of a personal level. So I definitely understand, you know, what you're kind of going through. But focusing just on the independent level, um, is there any point in time where you're going to connect independent to, you know, the national scene? Because, like, Andy Dalton, he's got ties to, you know, the Texas area as far as world class goes, which was a major promotion back in the 80s. Uh, I mentioned David was trained by Valentine. So, is there a point where you're going to connect the two together, the independent to the mainstream, or are you strictly going to focus on the independent? My hope, well, for this specific project, it will just focus on independent, but the goal is to, after this project is, to, is completed, to expand beyond that and actually make those connections. But that will technically be a separate project. Be a separate, all right. So um, you said it's going to be housed at you know, University of Texas Arlington in their uh, special libraries. Uh, but mm -hmm. this isn't, through them, I believe talking you, this is a personal project. You're not being, you're not being uh, funded for this. I believe, you know, this is kind of a pro this is kind of a labor of love for you. Correct. Absolutely. Like I, I mean it when I said like it, it hurt my heart when I realized how little was available resource resource wise within academia. And I, and I don't know, I guess I just felt a personal calling at that point. You know, I'm a historian. I love wrestling. I'm great at research. So why not? use my skills to contribute to a community and something that I, I love so much. When you got involved with this project, had you been to any independent shows or was your, you know, wrestling still the mainstream, what you saw on TV? So I had just been introduced to independent wrestling last, last year, June. So I was, I'm, was, I'm still very new to it, but I remember that very first show I went to, you know, I was a little skeptical cause I hadn't been to one before. Um, and I was blown away by the talent that I saw there. And I immediately started calling up all of my other like wrestling friends. And I was like, Hey, have you been to any of the independent wrestling shows around here? Have you, have you gone? And none of them had been. So I've, I've regularly started bringing them all in, but 
it was something that I didn't expect. I, I honestly did not expect to enjoy it quite as much as I did. And I'm extremely thankful to the friend who took me to that first show back in June. And I've been going consistently ever since. Well, up until just recently, obviously. <laughs> recently, just kind of came to a complete utter stop, unfortunately, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of a sad situation. Kind of a sad situation we're in right now because, you know, that's their livelihood. You know, getting the chance mm-hmm. to talk to these guys is probably something you're getting to know is for a lot of them, this is their livelihood. This isn't, you know, just something, oh, I wrestle like, you know, once or twice a month. And other than that, I'm, you know, I work at the, you know, the, the factory. No, for some of these guys, this is how they make their money. They have a shoot job as side money, but the major part of their money is this. I don't think people realize that with the independency. They see them and they refer to them as, you know, weekend warriors. But these guys aren't weekend warriors. There are some guys that are wrestling four or five nights a week. And like I said, this is their income, you know? So as you're researching, you know, you're getting to know these guys, you know, what do you think on that one that, you know, that something like their livelihood is just literally snatched right out of their hands just, just suddenly? You know, that was actually one of the things that when the pandemic first started and once it became apparent that we were going to be, you know, stuck at home for an extended period of time, you know, I was immediately, you know, texting and, and calling my friends to say, hey, you know, we need to continue supporting all of these wrestlers that we enjoy. So I have purchased all kind of merch in the last month and a half. I've been watching, you know, all of the shows that they have available online, and I've been asking all of my friends to do the same thing because I fully acknowledge that this is their livelihood. And I feel like a fan, as a fan, I should continue supporting them as best as I can. And they have been extremely creative. I have to say this, they've been extremely creative in how they use social media to continue having those opportunities to to make money. Um, One that I just have to mention because it was completely enjoyable to, to experience was a shots and shops event that Andy Dalton and Jackson Stone oh, did on Facebook Live. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like it may have been almost two hours long, and it was literally just people paying for them to take shots and chops. And it was probably the most interesting, you know, hour and a half, two hours that I I donated to and watched. But it was it was very enjoyable. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't donate to it. But as soon as Andy went live, I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch this for a couple minutes. And yeah, well, however long that thing lasted, I was there till the end. Uh, Glenn, I don't, I'm going to explain this to you, Glenn, and I'm going to hand the mic over to you for some questions. Okay. But as she said, Andy Dalton, Jackson Stone, two, two of the top guys in this area, I will say this, um, did a live event on Facebook called Shots and Chops. And people could donate money through PayPal, Venmo, however. And, you know, you pay five bucks and they would chop each other or they would take a shot. And this is what it was for however long it lasted was these guys just chopping each other and drinking. (laughs) Highly entertaining. I'm sure they made a few bucks at it. But like she said, they made a creative use out of social media and got something out there for the fans to watch. And a lot of fans watched and a lot of fans donated. But it was one of those things you kind of had to see to believe because it almost was turning into like kind of a, a National Lampoon's Animal House type of thing where I think they were starting to enjoy just beating each other uh, there at one point. 
I'm not sure, but it looked like they were really starting to enjoy it. Well, I guess if you had a little something to to drink in between rounds or a few sh- chops or shots, I suppose that 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 went for a while. But man, the ne- I wanted to see the next morning shots. That's what I would have wanted. The exclusive, uh, you know, you could. Ra- I, I I'd probably drop a few bucks just to see them as they wake up and realize what the hell did we do last night? That's a possibility. You know, hungover and you know their chest chopped up like you know liver. But you know what? It's a way of, you know, again, you mentioned social media. It's such a good, good especially during these times, it's such a great way to, to, to connect with people and to also let the people know of what's going on, you know, with everything being shut down like this, how you can get to these uh, wrestlers and, and help them out by buying some merch and, and just, you know, donating to whatever cause. It, it, it's definitely, uh, again, where social media can sometimes be the blessing curse. We're, some, we're seeing the blessing out of this, Mike. Oh, definitely. And social media, you know, already was expanding, you know, and, you know, like Milan says, she's using that to kind of continue on with what she's doing. So, but yeah, social media is a great thing. But like I said, it was something you kind of just had to see. I'm hoping maybe they'll do, maybe not quite that, but do something like that again. But Glenn, I'm going to pass the mic to you, and I'm sure you've got a couple questions for our guests. Well, I just got one or two because this has been such a, a, a very absorbing conversation uh, with uh, with Mike and, and Milan here on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. You're talking about the history of of the Indies in, in North Texas. Uh, one of the things that is a real curiosity to, to me, aside from you know just the wrestlers who are who have through the years and, and even today are scratching and surviving, is uh, some of the tales that go with uh, you know promotion that stop and start and some of the, the promoters who could have come in and do the fly-by-night stuff where one time you can, you know, it's well-known in wrestling uh, on many levels. Uh, promoters kind of come and promoters go. You know, I think that going back and finding some of the stories of some of the promoters would also be an extra added curiosity just to, to, to kind of gauge what was really going on with uh, in certain points of, of indie wrestling at that time. Absolutely. And that's um, one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping to be able to accomplish. But for that one, it kind of goes back to there not being a lot of resources for me to identify what those promotions were so I can even know who to reach out to. So I'm kind of hoping that, you know, as I go through these, because um, usually when I do one of the interviews, I'll ask like, hey, who do you know that I should reach out to? Like, who in history or what promotion in history do I need to make sure that I include in this? in hopes that eventually I'll get connected with someone who can kind of fill in those those gaps. Because it just seems like, you know, again, it's going to be a bit of a journey from what it sounds like. It just seems like another nice untapped area to to further expand mm-hmm. the experience because, I mean, these were the guys that, you know, you know, these workers would come to these towns and, and sometimes, you know, you'd be lucky to get a pay payout or sometimes you had a generous promoter who was known a little bit for being too generous who uh, ended up you know bankrupting himself for the sake of the boys so it'll be interesting to see the yin and the yang of who actually did work in the, in the uh, uh, promotion world down there absolutely i agree with that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so uh we talked about wrestling history you know in texas such a rich history uh, in the state altogether would you ever consider, I mean, with this project, I and mean, you've, you've talked about expanding it out even more, has there ever been any sort of avenues uh, to be traveled or to be considered to travel uh, in, in regards to the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame down there in Wichita Falls, Texas? It's in the state, I know, but would there be ever be a, any sort of lines opened up for communication with them if, you, when, if and when you decide to expand out even more beyond uh, just the area of expertise you're working on right now? So unfortunately, right before all of this started, I actually was trying to um, get connected with them. I'm unsure if maybe 
there was just a situation where they were closed for a period of time or something. But um, when I traveled down there, they were not open and I was unable to make contact with anyone. So I'm going to try again here when things kind of calm down. But that is a a really big thing on my to-do list, something that I, I do want to accomplish. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, and, and Mike could attest to it. I, I think that I think Johnny would be be open to that. I, I, I would say that. And uh, Milana, I'm more than happy once kind of things get up there to help you get in touch with Johnny and all that and, and get you down to the, uh, you know, for us, for us Hall of Fame, because he does actually have an indie wall. So you'll see guys on there, not just from the Texas area, but from, you know, all over the states up on that indie wall. So I'd be more than happy to help that you with that be- once, uh, as you said, time goes. Yeah, that would be absolutely amazing. It's definitely something that um, I wanted to do. I was really disappointed that I was unable to to go last time, but we visited Wichita Falls. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, just getting now into independent wrestling back in June. You mentioned that first show. If I may ask, what was the first show you went to? Who was the group? So the first show that I, um, the first show that I went to was a VIP show. It was, um, I believe it was called Taking Back Dallas. I believe that's what it was called, Taking Back Dallas VIP. Yeah. I remember it was a really great show, but like I said, I hadn't been to any before. Um, it was the first show that I saw Barry Brown in, so that was absolutely amazing. I remember taking away from that show immediately knowing that I was going to have to continue following, of course, VIP wrestling. And I've expanded beyond that, going to DFW All Pro and, of course, MPX and trying to touch on some of the smaller ones. Um, I believe there were a couple of, like in Waxahachie and things like that. I've been doing a lot of traveling since this project started, for sure, driving out to Canton, Texas, which was a completely new experience for me. So what are some of the things you've, you've gotten to see so far that you've really enjoyed, Neil? You, you got any stories so far that, you know, just kind of, you know, to share that you can share with us right now? So, oh, okay. I actually do have um, probably my, my it's going to be go down as my favorite memory. There was a, the Andy Dalton versus Masada death match. And oh. we were really excited about it. <laughs> Uh, my friends and I were really excited about it, but one of my friends, it was a bring your own, bring your own weapons for the, for the death match. And for whatever reason, they wanted a giant pencil. I am a crafter. I make things a lot. So I decided to make a giant pencil. It looked like a real pencil with the eraser and everything for this death match. And we were so excited that uh, we named him Mr. Pointy. He had a, a great photo shoot before his, his last day on earth. Um, but we had a lot of fun watching him get destroyed and all bloody during that death match. And it was really cool to pick get to pick him up after the show and then see the damage and everything. But um, that was definitely one of my all-time favorite matches so far, that Andy Dalton versus Masada match. It was completely insane. I did not expect to see that much blood, for sure. And, oh, my goodness, Andy Dalton can carry a show. Oh, definitely. Andy is very charismatic in the ring and very talented. You know, obviously, like I've said multiple times tonight, you know, second generation. But, you know, you had a chance to, on an indie level, you know, you go to a show, you see a guy like Masada. And our listeners know, will know who Masada is. That man is, well, I guess insane is a good way to, uh, you know, to put it in the ring. Uh, not knowing the indie scene, not knowing much about the background of these guys, because obviously, you know, you're, you're still part of the mainstream. You know, you, that's what you see. What was your first take on a guy like, you know, Masada and some of the other, you know, talents you've had a chance to see? Because indie talents are sometimes far different than the guys you see on television. That is so true. And I think that's probably what I love the most about it. I mean, when you look at a, you know, a wrestler like Masada, 
And when I saw that match as we're going through it, there were some things that I was just like, this is extreme. This is not something that I would ever see in mainstream wrestling. And it almost felt like you were able to see the true persona, the true character of the wrestlers. Whereas, and I'm, and I'm not saying this to say that the wrestlers in mainstream are stunted or kept from showing their, their true colors, but it seems like there's so much more energy that you get from the characters in independent wrestling compared to mainstream. And I have absolutely enjoyed seeing that with some of the other individuals. Goodness, I can't remember the match now. And it makes me sad. Oh, Alibama, seeing the, a match where she was thrown off a balcony. Like, that was mind-blowing to think that something like that would happen. And the way that, the, that they built up to that just seems so natural in a way that I've never seen in mainstream. Now, have you actually had a chance to go backstage? Or is that just a spot you haven't had a chance to get to yet? That is a spot that I have not had a chance to get to yet. Because definitely, you know, the, uh, you know, David's got some plans for a final show. I'm sure he'll, you know, be reaching out to you on that one. But behind the curtain is definitely, you know, for me was something, you know, totally different. Because to go back there and you see the characters, but now they're, you know, and I hate to expose any secrets, guys. They're, you know, they're not on camera. They're not being, they're not on. They're not, they're themselves. So you see them on the phone talking to, you know, the wife, the kids, you know, blah, blah. Because, you know, a lot of these guys, they travel. I used to see guys who come down from Canada. So it's not like they go home, you know, right after the show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the indie guys, it's kind of the same thing. Sometimes they'll stay in the hotel. They're away from their family for, you know, like a day or two. It's not like, you know, what the main thing. But behind the curtain is an interesting experience. And I'm really hoping that's something that, you know, you'll get to experience. Because that is a major part of the independent scene and like that training session you're in, it's a chance for you to see, you know, the bond and the, the friendship and the family aspect of it, mm-hmm. not just what you see in the ring. So hopefully down the road, you know, you'll, you'll get that chance. I'm really hoping to, um, it's really interesting that you had brought up, like made that comment because that's actually a, like a specific question that I had posed to a couple of different wrestlers early on in the project it was just asking how that camaraderie within the wrestling community, just what that was like, because I felt like that, how I felt that that was very important and that probably impacts the way they are together in the ring. And some of the answers that I've been getting, some of the responses were very enlightening and I'm hoping to be able to kind of explore that a little bit more as I get further into this research. You know, another interesting aspect you'll, you'll find out. uh, I actually talked with a coworker about this about a year or so ago. And he mentioned somebody said I was working a show this weekend and he's like, Oh God, you you know, talking about wrestling, whatever. And I was like, dude, do you really think we go to an indie show and we're back in the back and we're talking about what we saw in WWE or the match they had? No, they're talking about, you know, Oh, Hey dude, did you see the new, uh, you know, Avengers movie or oh, dude, check out this album or, Oh, Hey, how's your wife doing? You know, people ask me about my kids, you know, that's the one thing people don't realize is just because they're wrestling, that doesn't mean we talk about wrestling 24 seven. You know, I'm a historian. I watch more than most people should, but I go to work and I don't talk about wrestling constantly because it's what I do. It's what I enjoy. It's what they do. It's what they enjoy. It's where they make their living, but it's not what they talk about when they're around everybody else. You know, I don't think people realize that because you see what's on TV and you go, whoa, Triple H, or whoa, Mankind, but then you don't realize, oh, hey, Triple H has three daughters, he's a father, he's a family man, you know, same with, you know, Mick Foley, 
you know, and same with the independent guys. You know, a lot of times you'll see, like, you know, I'm Charlie Hoff, uh, worked at WWE, but then he went into the independent scene. He was big around here in the Texas area. But his kids would come to the matches with him, and they would sit in the front row. You know, and sometimes the fans would know those are Charlie's kids. But he would bring his kids to the matches with him because they love to watch their dad work. But it's not something as a fan that you see. You only see that persona. And I think a project like yours might give a chance for people to see beyond, you know, that persona. Because obviously when you're talking to Andy Dalton, you're talking to Andy, you're not getting dirty Andy Dalton. And if you know by now there is a distinct difference between Andy and dirty. And that is completely true. And that's exactly what this oral history project is for. You know, I keep, um, you know, when they ask me, okay, what kind of questions are we going to, are we going to be going through? I tell them, I have a list of questions that I'm going to touch on for sure, but that's really not the purpose of this oral history project. The purpose is for you to tell the story of your life, how you got here, the things that you think are important, what drove you, you know, how did your gimmick get created? Things that you think are important, things that most people would not know just watching you in the ring so that that can be exposed. Because I feel like too often you go off, you have your career and you leave that career. But the only thing that you've left behind that I've noticed so far is your record. And that's, that's all the information I'm able to locate is what title you've carried. But I don't know anything about what led to that. Or like your personality, what was going on behind the scenes. And that's the stuff that I'm hoping to grab within these oral histories so that we can share it with everyone. Now you said you talked with David, you talked with Andy Dalton. Who are some of the others, are there, or are there others that you've had a chance to uh, talk with before everything started happening? So um, before everything started happening, I had six confirmed histories that we were going to be working on. So in addition to David Fuller and Andy Dalton, I had Machiko San, Jackson Stone, um, Lou Gotti, and Barrett Brown. And then there were quite a few who were still reviewing the paperwork because, as I said earlier, there is like a federal process that you have to go through. So I had quite a few that were still kind of reviewing that information. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to kind of follow up with, with that and get them in. So confirmed I had those six. Now, there is an interesting uh, concept to this. is, And this, this, this interests me. I don't know about the listeners. But you're talking about the federal process they have to go through. What is the process you have to go through with a project like this to get to sit down and talk with these guys. So the really interesting thing that even though it is just an oral history where I'm just conducting an interview, they are considered human subjects. So I essentially just have to lay out that the questions that I'm going to be asking them is not going to endanger their livelihood. So it's not going to be something that could potentially cause them to lose their job or, you know, have them face some, something else that would end up being detrimental to them. So that's the purpose of the, uh, process that I have to go through now. Um, and that's just because it's oral history. So it's an easier process, but say for instance, I was doing a scientific research on, you know, um, psychology of some nature of, of children. It's the same exact process. So even though it's just an oral history, I'm going through the same process that researchers have to go through for scientific projects because I'm dealing with human subjects. Interesting. Are there, are there like contracts involved? Like is there anything they have to sign like to allow you yeah. to use you know, their likeness and their information? Absolutely. And that's the information that a lot of them are still reviewing. But there are several um, documents that they'll have to agree to. One being that just recording their oral history and collecting that information since so much of it is considered sensitive data. And then having that information donated to special collections because we do have to have permissions to be able to have that made available to the public. 
Now, see, I find that interesting because, you know, as a historian researcher and all that, and I've worked on multiple projects with people, that's an aspect I haven't had to deal with really, except for like, you know, obviously, you know, copyrights and getting permission to use, you know, images or of theirs and all that, but that's a copyright thing. Now everybody deals with that, but I never thought about it. You know, you're coming to this, like you said, with an academic standpoint, I never looked at it with the, you know, how they're being treated. So it's almost, I'm fascinated by this. I'm, I'm utterly fascinated by the, the legal process and the, that you have to go through to do this. You know, I mean, I've got, I got so many questions. I really can't even kind of get them all out on, you know, this isn't just, Hey, I'm going to sit down and talk to this guy and he's going to tell me a story. I, I find that, I find that very interesting. Have you had anybody that you've reached out to and said, Hey, that it, and then they find out the process and what they have to sign. And they're just like, no, I'm not doing it. I haven't had anyone say, no, they're not doing it, but I do suspect that that's why I haven't heard back from some individuals <laughs> because some of the, the content may seem um, intimidating. So I, I do think that is um, a bit of a deterrent, but I'm hoping that once I reach out to them and verbally or however I'm able to communicate with with them, kind of explain what the contract really is. Because I think what the big issue is that some people feel like the contract means that I, they're giving away their, their story, which that's not it at all. It's actually a joint um, ownership between special collections and the individual. So they can take that full interview. They'll have a full copy of that interview. They can take that, post it wherever they want. They can use that however they would like. But then a, a copy is also kept within special collections for the public to access. And I think that's kind of where that uncertainty rises because un unless you understand the lingo, then you may not pick up on that. Now I see by our time clock, we're coming up to the end of this interview. Um, I do have a couple more questions for you. One, the project, you know, you have a, you have a site right now where you can go and look at the, uh, you know, the teasers and all that. So, um, where is that at? If a fan, if our listeners are interested and they want to kind of go check out some teasers for what you're working on, where can they find that information? So they can find that information at experiencewrestling.com. That is the website. And I try to keep it updated with new individuals who have been fully confirmed as histories. And then that's also where you can find the wrestler database that I'm actively working on during this pandemic. And once the project is done, like I said, it's going to be housed at uh, University of Arlington Libraries. People out of the area, I mean, we're, this station is in Minnesota. People out of the area, would they be able to see the project and see the interviews and actually want, or is it something they would have to physically be in the building? Anyone, anywhere will have access to it, absolutely. It will be a digital collection. So you don't have to sign in or anything like that in order to view it. We do have everything completely open to the public. There are the only restrictions that exist would be for like downloading. Some things like that are reserved only for researchers, but as far as accessing and watching them, once they're uploaded to special collections, anybody will be able to go to the website. Now we mentioned earlier, the other collection that's there was the one on the Von Erics. Is that one still available? Yes, it is. So if you go to special collections, um, if you go to their website, and you can go to uta.edu backslash library, and then there'll be a link there for special collections. They have a list of all of their past collections, and all of the photos are digitally available. Fascinating. I've only seen this stuff online, so I'm not. One, you've given me a new project to go and, and look into. Thank you. <laughs> I will wrap up the interview with you know this one last question. You know, you've been doing this project. You've had a chance to go to the indie shows. You've gotten to meet a lot of interesting characters. 
what's the one thing you've taken away from it so far? The, the, the most important thing you've taken away from it so far? I think the most important thing that I've taken away from it, especially the fact that I came into it as a fan who didn't really understand what went into it, is that there's so much more under the cover. There's so much more there than what you just see in the ring. And that means so much to my research, because in my mind's eye, there's never really going to be an end to this research, because there's always going to be something else for me to look into that contributes to professional wrestling. I can, yeah, I can guarantee that 100% is going to happen. I've been focusing on Texas wrestling for, you know, the world-class territory specifically. And even though it's all archived, even though it's all out there, I still find new things every day. So as a researcher, I can guarantee you're going to find a lot more. And you're going to meet a lot more, you know, great people along the road. Because especially in the independent things, I love going into, you know, the dressing room and all that and getting to see all the guys and all that. And, you know, my son gets to go back there now with me sometimes. He gets to see him and all that. And, uh, it's definitely a script. And I'm looking forward to when things kind of go back to a new normal. You know, you'll be able to go back to your research, continue on with a great project. And we're definitely going to have you on again once the project is complete or available so we can talk more about it and then get the, uh, you know, let the listeners know where they can find it. But Glenn, I know that the, the timekeeper is probably watching you right now, so I'm going to pass the microphone back over to you. Yeah, he's trying to start a Zoom conversation with me, but uh, I just clicked it and all I have is this big shot of his eye. I'm like, okay, I know it's there time to go. I got Zoom the cue. I got thing, the man. Zoom is the thing. <laughs> well, a big thank you to Milan Murray. A uh, great project, and we I definitely have to have her back on. Uh, it's going to be uh, wonderful just to kind of dig into it a little bit more and a little bit deeper. A big thank you to her, and also a big thank you to the Grizzled Vet, Mike McCurdy, way down there deep in the heart of Texas. For Wrestling Memories Then and Now, I'm Glenn Broggett. So long and have a pleasant day.